is a special episode of How to Win, featuring me. I'm Pay Player. I don't do fluff. I don't do filler. I rarely do emojis. What I do a lot is study winners in B2B. So in this episode, I'm going to sum up what we've learned so far, concluding 2021. And there are 15 key themes or patterns to winning. And I define winning for the sake of this podcast, that these companies are more than 10 million in revenue, operating in a market with multiple players. So what have they done? So number one, they tap into pre-existing demand, what people already want. So Client Boost, a PPC agency doing $20 million a year, which is outrageous for an agency, it's because everybody wants to buy PPC. If you study the case of Client Boost, they're not doing anything magically different. Yes, they have great processes and lots of things that they're doing right. They're you know, doing content marketing and they're on social and so on. But if you really look at it, tapping into pre-existing demand is a huge part of their growth. Similar to like Content Stack, they started as an agency building custom headless CMSs for enterprise customers and they saw, holy shit, this is going to be insane. This is going to be a huge market because the world has changed. The old school CMS doesn't cut it anymore. And since they knew the customers and what they wanted and they knew how to build these products, they said, hey, we should just become a software product instead of being a development agency. And so they did and they're very successful because they're tapping into what people already want to buy. Number two, also another obvious one, is listening to the customer. You can't build a successful business if you're not catering to what the customers want. Chili Piper, they identified a business opportunity from a single client's problem, which was this handover from SDRs to AEs in, in sales and built a very successful business from that insight. Alina Vanderberg, co-founder of Chili Piper. The first client pay upfront to solving a very specific problem that they had. And before we accepted that as a project, we just asked around if others had the same problem to make sure that it was something that people would pay for, which was as soon as you have a prospect on the phone and you want to move them further in the process, because it's very time sensitive and they say, yes, I want to talk to and get a demo or I want to onboard or whatever that next step was, they had to be handoff. So there has to be a handoff to happen in, within the revenue teams. And it had to be an equitable handoff. And we turned out that a lot of themes, there was a lot of uh, tension, in, especially between SDRs and AEs, that the handoff was not equitable, that some SDRs would favorite some certain account executives because of better closure rates, and then they would have a commission based on closure, or uh, just because they were friends and they would want that person to get uh, more booking. So there was always this conflict between the manager of account executives and the manager of SDRs that would say, okay, this process is not working, much better to put some automation in place rather than leave it up to chance. Number three, when a lot of the successful companies start out, they lead with a feature-based differentiation. And maybe it's because when they started, they were the only one doing it. Like Unbounced launched a landing page builder. And the value proposition was build landing pages without IT, because that was the bottleneck. And this market became extremely saturated. Like anybody and their mother is offering a tool to build landing pages without IT. So that differentiation didn't cut it anymore. Now they're doing other things. Gaia Leaf from Intellimize was telling us how they identified an opportunity 
that there was no automatic personalization of the buyer's journey through the website. Automatic personalization of ads, yes, but like once the people clicked on an ad on the website, it's just a static A-B test experience. So they launched using that insight. Gaia Leaf, co-founder and CEO at Intellimize. I was VP of marketing at a programmatic advertising company. Was very, very fortunate to have a team of 30, 35, an eight-figure budget that we optimized fully. We tuned that spend, we personalized messages, we drove everyone to our website, and then we did nothing to tailor that experience on our website. It made no sense to me at all. We spent so much energy personalizing the paid portion of the journey and not the, the bottom of the funnel where leads were generated. For more than a decade already, Google and Facebook would say, give me five ads. I'll figure out which one to show whom. I'll show the good ones more, the bad ones less. So how did we think about competing? We thought about making a better experience for our customer by giving them, in some sense, the experience they've already gotten used to as a buyer in paid ads. They've gotten used to it as a consumer because of Yahoo, Netflix, and Amazon teaching us to get personalized experiences. We thought, let's go create that. Like we spend $120 billion every year just in the US driving people to websites to turn them into customers. And we fail at that task. 98% of the time. Like in what world is that okay? A lot of these companies started with a feature-based differentiation, but eventually they had to move away from it. And that's another key thing. All these companies that I'm profiling, almost all, there are exceptions, moved away from pure feature-based differentiation. Yes, you cannot be objectively worse. You need to have at least feature parity so that you don't lose because you're missing a key feature or functionality but it's not going to help you win. You know, in the end, you can't win a feature war. So what do you do? Strategy number four is you focus on a very specific audience. So ConvertKit, our episode number one, they are focused on creators, bloggers, authors, painters, musicians, etc., etc. A very specific audience. You could say that you know, they're a competitor of MailChimp, with MailChimp is for everyone. So ConvertKit doubled down on a very specific audience in terms of the marketing, also in terms of certain features. And so if you are very focused on a niche, then you can actually build a 10x solution. Nathan Barry, founder and CEO of ConvertKit. So whereas Infusionsoft or MailChimp or others had to build this feature set of like, here's the CRM functionality, or like, I just got off the phone with a client, let me log info about this deal. They had to maintain all of that. We could just say, oh, we're just not building any of those features because the professional bloggers, the creators, they don't care about that. And so we're able to be really opinionated about the features that we build. We can focus better. And so we can make something that is really compelling. And people can legitimately say like, oh, this is, I'm able to do things in ConvertKit that I couldn't do in MailChimp, in ActiveCampaign. And other companies can say like, yeah, but here's all these things that, you can do in our tool that you can't do in ConvertKit. And we can be like, great, creators don't care about this. There are other interesting things going on because you can run up to the, against the limits of a product in a few different ways. So one is you need to have more functionality, like more advanced automation functionality. But another is like the depth, uh, going from like a beginner creator to a really large audience. And so we were able to say, Within this group, we can support the brand new creator who's paying us $29 a month and the Tim Ferriss's and James Clears of the world, or wellness mama, you know, her sending like 500,000, a million, 2 million subscribers. 
if you're building for a very specific audience and solving a very specific problem, it's going to be very hard for anyone else to do the exact same thing. Point number five. If you're coming to the market with an objectively better product and you have a feature-based differentiation, there is a way for you to stay at it. You know, like currently Tesla cars are objectively better electric cars than other cars in the market today. And so the way Tesla can keep on winning is to be consistently innovating or out-innovating the competition. And we see companies that still have this strategy. So customer.io, which is marketing automation, customer engagement tool, they're doubling down on R&D and innovation. And same with Databox, where their product is highly complex and very difficult to replicate. It will take years for competitors to copy them, so they're always one or two steps ahead. And during that time, they have multiple years of advantage to go and, and build something else. Colin Netterkorn, founder and CEO at Customer.io. I think for us, the pace of innovation is probably the most important thing in the company. And pace of innovation can create a moat. What we've realized is that people always want to do more with their customer data and the data that they have in Customer.io. And it's really on us to figure out how to keep meeting the growing demands and needs of customers. And that's, that's why pace of innovation is such a critical thing for us. And I think over time, one of the trends in the market that we're seeing is that people are expecting more out of their tools. And the tools that do one thing mediocrely in a mediocre way, I don't know if mediocrely, I don't think that's a word, in a mediocre way, they're going to lose. And so you really need to do more for your customers because they're expecting more out of all of their SaaS products. We get continually pushed by our customers to do more. Point number six is in terms of marketing, a lot of these companies are doing a lot of content marketing, and I'm not talking about paid, but organic content. So we really need to cultivate mental availability that when buyers think of a category that we're in, they think of us. That's the ideal goal. That's the job of a marketer to get into that consideration set of a buyer. And by posting daily on social, on all the channels where your target customer is hanging out, you know, maybe it's Twitter or LinkedIn, maybe it's TikTok, maybe it's email, it doesn't matter. You're posting content that's interesting and valuable your target customers. You're building a brand, you're establishing saliency. And so when uh, a year from now, when they have budget and need and all those things, they think of you. That's the point. It's not like the HubSpot strategy where it's like every top of the funnel keyword you can think of, but they do deep content and it's really working for them. Profitwell, a pricing analytics company, is considered to be the leader of uh, SaaS pricing, subscription pricing. Why is that? Of course, because of their insane media machine, considering they're still a relatively small company. They have multiple podcasts, the, the blog, and obviously their CEO, Patrick Campbell, is considered to be the pricing expert. Now, of course, Patrick knows a lot about pricing. He's insanely smart. Is he the smartest person on the planet about pricing? I, I don't know about that, but we live in a world of perceptions, right? Every podcast about pricing has Patrick. Every conference about pricing has Patrick, and so on and so forth. He's everywhere. He's truly used content marketing super well to make ProfitWell the king of their category. A visible founder is definitely an asset. 
Patrick Campbell, founder and CEO at ProfitWell. Brand is extremely important, but not in the sense of how we traditionally think about brand where it's the assets, like what the logo is and things like that. But brand in the sense of, I need to not only make my potential buyer aware of my existence, but I also need to educate them on the problems I solve, right? And so the thing that we, we've said over the years, and content's been a huge portion of our strategy since the beginning, I would say it's our, in the T kind of growth, it's our T, or the length of the T. You know, in the beginning, it was just me and a HubSpot account that writing blog posts, right? And writing about pricing in particular. And then over time, we've kind of evolved from an inbound marketing strategy to a, a media strategy. And the difference is basically, instead of writing a blog post to drive someone to an offer, and that's kind of your, your playbook, the difference is you build audience, right? We have three main verticals we target, B2B SaaS, consumer subscriptions, and subscription e-commerce. We have three kind of types of content we want to produce, pricing content, retention content, and then general content. I call it kind of like top of the top of the funnel, like interviews like this, just stuff that's interesting for you know, these types of buyers. And we basically want to show at every intersection of those, of those points. The first thing we produced was something called Pricing Page Teardown. Welcome to Pricing Page Teardown, where Patrick and Peter break down the pricing pages and strategies of subscription companies from all corners of the market. We would basically talk through like what brands were doing well or not so well with their pricing. That show, when we're in season, tens of thousands of people watch that a month. It's insane. Even if I had a thousand people a week, that's a win, right? Because I have a thousand people learning about pricing and talking about us or referring our content to other people. Related to content marketing is educating the customer about the issues at hand. So maybe it's the same as content marketing. I'll put it as a separate line item here as 0.7. So ProfitWell, uh, Patrick Campbell uh, told me that most of their future growth is coming from customers that are using nothing right now. We're not in a market where there's a hub spot where we're going after. We're in a market where it's like, we're just educating people for the first time. They're not even aware of the problems that we solve or that you can solve it through a product like ours. And your competitor customers are already educated, which is great. But most of the growth comes from people who don't even know this is a problem yet. You know, and that reminds me of Clayton Christensen, who said that non-consumption is a huge market opportunity. And that's what disruptive innovation is all about, bringing simpler and cheaper products to the market than there are currently available. And they would therefore initially target markets for whom the current offers were too expensive or complicated, hence the term non-consumption. And Clayton's idea was that if you can be successful at selling something to the non-consumers, that will later finance the development of even better products that would gradually encroach on the turf of the market leaders. Number eight, creating a community. So Lattice built a very successful Slack community for HR professionals. So obviously they're selling to HR companies and then all these HR people are talking to each other in a community facilitated by Lattice. So Lattice gets, gets a lot of brand awareness there and, and probably loyalty. Alex Krakow, former VP of Marketing at Lattice. We tried to make it really like an executive level community, right? Like how do we get CHROs in there? And it completely tanked because we found that the executives did not have the same sort of time in their life. And so we relaunched it as kind of a general HR community and it started to really take off. And I think the best thing we did was make it feel very VIP. So you had to apply. You couldn't just join. 
there was an application form. You had to explain why, and that was really helpful. Um, and sort of getting the right right people in there and kind of creating this aura around it. The other thing was like continual growth. Because I think what happens with the community is a lot of people get into a Slack channel, they forget about it. We are constantly adding new people into there. And then we built it into our entire process. So in an outbound sales email, someone's like, no, I don't want to buy Lattice. Or I'm not interested. We said, oh, no, no worries. Like join our community. And it was a way to stay in touch. And then we we really kept it alive by doing things outside of the Slack channel. So it became not just about, okay, are you posting in there? Because it gets really messy quickly. It becomes, are you engaging with our newsletter? Are you coming to our events? So on and so forth. It's similar with Lemlist. They have a very successful Facebook community. And other very close competitors can't match it. It's kind of too late to create your own social media community. If one of your competitors has a very successful ongoing. Number nine, it's about process. So... Animals told me that you know what works at 15 headcount doesn't work at 50. So Animals, which is a content marketing agency, focused on editorial and hiring and all these, all these other business processes. And since their product is service, they invested heavily in that product. Devin Bramhall, CEO of Animals. Walter founded the company in 2015. And, you know, he was really good at content marketing. That's how he grew his previous company, which then got sold. And so, you know, he had a bunch of other startups coming to him saying, hey, man, how'd you do that? Thus, the agency was formed. Um, But I think he really ran up against that, like, 18 to 20 person mark where he just couldn't, like, getting it bigger than that. um, He needed help. Like, no one really understood what their role was. They didn't know how to get promoted. They just got there and, like, didn't know what to do. And so they were kind of, like, languishing a little bit and needed help. So we kind of, like gave people a direction. We're like, look, here's a vision for the future. Here's better communication, (laughs) uh, better process. And then what are our standards? What are our first principles of a high quality piece? Documenting that, sharing that with people and onboarding, creating a team and a process around first principles of strategy. And that allows us to really go into every customer, no matter who they are and say, yeah, we we can help you. It was the product. And our product is a service, right? Which seems really simple, but think of all the things I just mentioned that go behind that, like having dedicated editors, dedicated strategists, and the process for or creating and delivering that service. So we we invested heavily in the product. And similar case with Client Boost. They focused on the back of the house. They invested in ops, better internal data, staff training, and they basically went from 10 million in revenue to 20 million in revenue by focusing on operations. Number 10, category creation. This is about thinking long-term and innovating beyond your existing category to fend off growing competition. It's always easy to stay the same and do what you've always been doing. So Unbounce stopped being a landing page builder and is creating a category called conversion intelligence. Tamara Grominski. Chief Strategy Officer at Unbounce. So one of the things we realized pretty early on into the strategy was that our vision for how we wanted to apply machine learning and AI actually went beyond landing pages. And so we started to think about not just how do we evolve our product, but how do we evolve our category? And really, at the end of the day, we decided we wanted to create a new category called conversion intelligence. And we believe that conversion intelligence is really the pairing of a marketer and a machine to increase conversions. And so we started to define what is conversion intelligence? What are the pillars of conversion intelligence? And that was really the narrative thread for us. So 
what happened? What was the big change in the world? How were our target market adapting to that change? And then how could conversion intelligence be a solution to how difficult that change was to overcome? Once we were ready to bring that narrative to market, we actually did a manifesto around conversion intelligence. As we mentioned, Unbounce has always been known for that thought leadership. And so we wanted to make sure that this was a strong opinion about what the future of marketing looked like. But really, it's a process. We can't just go one day from being, hey, we're a landing page builder to the next day saying, we're now a conversion intelligence platform. We need to take people on that journey. And so now you'll see that What started as a manifesto post has now become our core positioning, and we're starting to launch features that are conversion intelligence features, and we're building whole conference talks that are about conversion intelligence rather than just pulling in the threads of, you know, the story behind conversion intelligence. Category creation really is a play on when you stop competing on better and you start competing on different. You change the game, kind of like a drift, which never talked about themselves as a better chatbot or a better live chat. They only talked about the change in the world, the strategic narrative, creating a a new category called conversational marketing, conversational sales. Number 11, freemium or a very competitive free plan. Freemium is a model that works for many companies, including ProfitWell. As their CEO, Patrick Campbell, explained in episode six of How to Win. Our free product, that's a moat. Let's say we don't win the market. We're going to mess the market up enough for our competitors. You know what I mean? That was one of the toughest things, I think, for our competitors. We came out and it was initially it was free and good enough, and now it's free and it's better from a feature parity standpoint. And some of this is subjective and biased, but like it's more accurate in a consistent manner and it has more features. We'll say that's better, right? Um, and there's some features we don't have, but our customers tend not to care about those or we're going to build them, right? That's very difficult for competitors to compete with. If what they're charging money for, you can make free, and it's at least as good or or nearly as good. That's going to be a a strong moat. Number 12, piggybacking on the back of growing ecosystems. So you, you, you go all in on this ecosystem, and you use that to grow. Supermetrics is a great example of a company that at first was a Chrome extension, then became a very, very successful standalone tool. So Privy, the email marketing tool, they built their business, tying themselves to Shopify and later Wix, both huge ecosystems. They chose that their customer is a Shopify store. Ben Jabavi, CEO of Privy. Shopify is an e-commerce ecosystem. I think so many big companies out there, namely B2B, I think their DNA, like they just didn't understand what e-commerce was and how it was different from B2B. So I I think for a while we were like one of the only ones that was focused on list growth for e-commerce. And so we we were at a point where we were adding probably 4,000 stores a month that were starting with Privy with basically zero paid marketing, no outbound sales. We effectively became the entry point for customer data within the Shopify ecosystem. If someone was signing up with an email, like there was a pretty good likelihood that Privy was the form powering that. That was important because it meant that Privy was actually like building the merchant relationship earlier in the the life cycle of that merchant than some of the other email providers out there. You know, another theme has kind of accelerated in the industry around like, vendor consolidation. I think a lot of like business owners are fed up with having to have 30 apps 
on their store to accomplish the common you know marketing automation. So the theme of consolidation was another thing we saw coming, and we it was a a bit of a like strategic move to say, hey, we want people consolidating to Privy, not away from Privy. Number 13, culture. What's going on inside your company? How you lead your people? Because you can't get very far with mediocre people and you can talk about attracting talent and retaining talent and training talent. And it, a lot of it is about culture. Intellimize was very adamant about it that they want to uh, make their customers winners. That's a mindset inside the company. Customer I.O. fosters culture of excellence. Very important for them. And, and, and Client Boost says that they're able to hire younger top talent that otherwise they wouldn't be able to get because of their culture and also the way they talk about their culture on social media. Number 14, moots. So for instance, Shopify has a true network effects. They have the partner ecosystem. Companies building apps on top of Shopify. Morgan Brown, VP Growth at Shopify. One of Shopify's incredible advantages is the ecosystem in which it exists, right? So, like the apps and stuff. Shopify app developers, Shopify agencies, Shopify experts. There's a whole ecosystem of capability that takes this kind of core product and extends it in many different ways. And you get this really powerful flywheel of more people contributing to the ecosystem, which creates a stronger product offering which creates a, a more compelling product to try uh, and use and stick with and get referred to. That's one of the big um, advantages that Shopify has. And finally, these companies are not transactional. They focus on building relationships. So there's a long-term mindset. It's how you approach content, how you approach product and community, all the things where it's not about one and done and Use dark patterns to get you into the product. No, no, like these winners are focusing on long-term, mutually beneficial relationships. That's it, folks. These were the 15 key themes and patterns I have identified from the previous episodes. Uh, starting from next week, we're back at it at our usual key, which is we're going to analyze B2B companies and see what's luck, what strategy, how they're winning. See you next time. Thanks. Thanks.